neat stuff. If you're visiting here with us this morning, my name is Paul Lee. I'm one of the uh, leaders of the team here, one of the pastors here, and a very, very warm welcome to you. We're going to play a video um, like about now, and we'll just put the lights down, watch this video, and then I'll connect with you in a couple of minutes. Where will I go? Where can God use me? Do I have the courage to leave my home, my comfortable space, and go out? Our earliest global workers had the same fears and doubts about sensing God's call into the unknown. But they courageously went, and they laid the foundations for a long-term partnership with our global brothers and sisters. They saw that there was so much to give and so much to learn in this relationship. They committed to each other for the long haul. They committed to seeing change through the generations. The call hasn't changed. Have relationship. Learn. Give. Teach. Receive. Stay. Commit. Commit to seeing change over generations because God's story is a long one. When you go or when you give, you're part of a legacy of change. You write the next pages of the story that spans generations. When you wear your wristband, remember your part in the story of change. Will you make the commitment? So Joy, um, that you just saw there, is one of the uh, mission initiatives in Kolkata uh, that our Baptist missionaries have been working there or serving over there for, gee whiz, about 30 years now, I think, um, the whole Joy. Has anyone been to um, 
the Calcutta Joy in Calcutta? Yep, there's a few. I've been there four times, so I kind of am quite familiar with it. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So welcome to uh, week two of Renew. Um, if you're visiting here with us uh, today, this is we do this uh, every year. We've got a bunch of Baptist missionaries serving overseas. There's about 25 and some children are serving in different parts of the globe, m- mostly in Asia. Um, so the Baptist Union of Churches, of which there are about 245 of them, uh, they do a, uh, an initiative to raise money to help support our missionaries um, overseas in full-time missions. So the video you just watched, the narrator began with a series of questions. Let me remind you of those questions. Here are the questions. Where will I go? Where can God use me? Do I have the courage to leave my home, my comfortable space, and go out? Did you notice all of those questions are in the first person? All of them are in. So God is speaking to us in some form, in some capacity this morning. Now, you might be thinking to yourself right now um, um, uh, that uh, I'm encouraging you to seriously consider serving as a missionary Overseas, You might be thinking that right now. Well, that's not the case. So you can all breathe a sigh of relief. That is not the case. I began with that video, certainly not to convince you that in some way that God is asking you to serve as a missionary overseas. Now, here's a thought. He might be doing that. That may very well be going on, but that's between you and God. But that's not my motivation. There's two reasons why I began with that this morning. The first is that we do have some folk in our church who have been missionaries serving overseas, for some for short term, some for long term, um, one couple uh, for 35 plus years. And this morning, the reason why I played that video is I want to honor those that are here with us this morning that have been over and have given their life to that. So Bruce and Karen White, who are reasonably new to our church, please stand up. Jeanette Edmonds, are you here? Please stand up. Uh, Andrew and Jan Bovey, are you here this morning? If you are, please stand up. If you're not, I want to know why not. (laughs) And I hope I haven't forgotten anybody. Um, Glenda Rattray, are you here? There she is right there, Glenda. You're surprised I called you out, aren't you? Isn't that wonderful? Um, Gaylene Holdaway, are you here? There you go, Gaylene in the pink right there. Alex Davies, my man, where are you? Where are you, Alex? Stand up, brother. Is there anyone else that I, from our church who have served in some capacity as a missionary overseas? Please stand up. Is there anyone else? Good, I haven't missed anybody. Yes, here we go. Here we go. The rest of us, I want you to give them a clap. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You can sit down now, team. That was the first reason why I wanted to share that video, to honor them. But my second reason for playing that video clip is simply this. Not everybody is called to serve as a missionary overseas, you say. But listen to this, church. We are all called to support those who have been called to serve overseas. Do you agree? Yes, we have. 
2 Timothy 1.9, which should come up on the screen, says this. He has saved us and called us. A lot of people read that scripture and they read the I have been saved part and that's where they stop. But it says more than that. He has saved us and called us. In the Greek language, the word called means that God invites us, invites you and I that have been left back here at home to partner with him, God, to partner with those who have been sent. He calls us, he saves us first, and then he calls us. There is something else that comes after salvation. Someone say amen. There is something else that comes. The question then becomes, if that is true, and indeed it is true, in what capacity am I individually, or are we corporately called to serve? In what capacity is that? And one of the wonderful things about being a follower of Jesus in this kingdom of God here on earth, there are so many ministries, there are so many opportunities that God can call us to serve Him in. The list, folks, is endless. But regarding this morning's message, Brenda, when it comes to mission across the globe, there is one thing, just one thing that we are all called to do, every one of us. And that one thing is to partner with those who have been called and have gone. We are all called into that mission role. You know, as partners in mission, in that sense, we who remain back here, back home, are just as invested. The part we play is just as vital as those who have obeyed the call to serve an overseas mission. You know that Indian lady that you saw on the screen, Dola? I have sat with her. I've heard her story. I've heard the unembellished story. Sat on the concrete floor in the place where she works. Heard that story and much, much more. And I've heard the story. How she found freedom from prostitution because of her faith in Jesus. Why is that important? Well, for me and for Christine, my wife Chris, I'm going to share a little story with you that I haven't got her permission to share, but I am her husband, so I think I will. (laughs) When we first, stay with me darling, when we first came to faith back in the day up in Auckland, one of the things my wife said when we both became Christians within a fortnight of each other, she says, you know what? I'm really dead scared that God is going to call us to be missionaries on some beach somewhere in a mud hut. That was her biggest fear. Remember that? Sort of, yes. Well, he didn't call us to do that. He did call us, though, to be missionaries. He sent us from Christchurch to Wellington for 21 years. So we were missionaries up there. 
Here's my point. Where that lady lives, Dola, and the missionaries that serve over there, there's no such thing as unemployment, un un unemployment benefit. There's no such thing as um, child support, working for families. Benefits that we in New Zealand receive as of right. They don't have any of that. Zero. In her world, if you don't work, you don't earn money. If you don't earn money, you don't eat. It's that simple. And as those who are called to overseas mission, then what part, those who are not called, what part can we play? And the part that we play, church, is partnership. We partner with those that have been called, who have gone. We partner with them in prayer and encouragement. And this morning, and I make no apologies for this, this morning we are talking specifically about money to give to them, which we will do next week. Is everyone okay about that? That's what we're going to talk about. Renew 2023. God is asking each one of us to ask him what our response should be when we take up our offering next Sunday. And it is my absolute firm belief, if we all respond in giving, giving what he has impressed upon us, it's not what someone else is doing or what someone else is giving that is irrelevant. It's what you decide between you and God. Let nobody tell you or coerce you or pressure you or manipulate you in any way to do anything that is outside of what God has told you to do. Don't do that. But whatever God has told you to do, and we're talking specifically about a financial offering next Sunday, which we will do here, and we'll come down the front, and we'll have baskets either side, and the kids will come down with their parents, there'll be some music playing, and we will take as much time as is necessary to go through that process. And I encourage you, don't just come down and throw an offering in the basket. Pray over it before you do that. Spend some time at the altar and say, God, multiply this, magnify this in some way to glorify your name. Take your time. But we are going to do that. And please, please do what God is asking you to do. Not what anyone else is doing. It's got to come out of your heart. We'll get to that in a second. We all give. This is my contention. If we all give what he has asked us to give, listen to this church, then that will be enough. That's it. That will be enough. So with all that in mind, let's read 2 Corinthians uh, we're going to, uh, chapter 8. We're going to uh, read the first eight verses. I'm going to miss 9 and 10 and then skip over to 11 and 12. So um, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let me just get to it. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Verse 3, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. 
And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord. Notice that. Salvation first. First of all to the Lord. And then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, or Titus I think is how it's pronounced in the original language. But anyway, just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Not law of giving, the grace of giving. Uh, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Now down to verse um, 11. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. Listen, according to your means. According to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. When we take up that offering next Sunday, I want to repeat this. really want you to get this in your spirit. Whatever that offering comes out as, Kim, that will be enough. That'll be enough. Okay, let's get into the meat of the message. Context, and you who know me well all will remember this, context is so important to get the, right, the correct interpretation of what God is saying, yeah? Con you need to understand the context. Let me just briefly give you the context that occasioned uh, Paul writing 2 Corinthians 8. The context here is, is the response of two churches in the first century AD. The apostle Paul had asked them to give an offering to help the poor in Jerusalem. Two churches. He had asked them to do that. One was the Corinthian church. They said they would, but didn't. Actually, they hadn't. And he was giving them a second opportunity. So up to that point, they said they would, but didn't, Anna. And the second church was the Macedonian church. They didn't say that they would give an offering, but in the, in, despite their economic circumstances and hardship, they did. Hello, everyone out there. In spite of their circumstances, they gave. And the key verse in, in the passage is verse 2, it says this. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, not just poverty, but extreme poverty, welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. This church this Macedonian church who was struggling right across the board and with persecution, we're calling physical persecution now, lives on the line, plead with Paul for the privilege of sharing. Please pick me. That's what they said. 
They pleaded for the privilege. They pleaded to partner with him for the privilege of sharing. Did you get the point? The biblical principle at play here is simply this. When it comes to financial giving, it is never, never, ever how much you give. It's simply that you give and with the spirit in which you give. That's what matters. Power of partnership. This thing when we connect together as we will do next week means simply this. You don't have to leave the comfort of your home here in New Zealand to be effective in mission. We can be effective staying right back here. We don't have to go and be in some third world country in a mud hut with a thatched roof. We can still be effective in mission by what we do here, by supporting and partnering with those who do go and are called into those places. So this morning, as it relates to mission, I want to talk about the power of partnership. From the passage that we just read, God will give three tests and challenge us with three tests on this issue of partnering. And here's the first one out of this passage. Firstly, God will test our heart. God will test our heart. A few weeks ago, um, I did a message on giving. You might recall that. You can go online and see that. And I made the point that when we give financially, in the first instance, it's never, ever about the money. Not as far as God is concerned. It might be to me. <laughs> but not as far as God is concerned. It's never about the money. The story that Jesus told of the widow's might was not the amount that she willingly gave, not the portion that she gave. In her particular case, it was the proportion that she gave. And in her situation, she gave everything. Do you realize in that passage, God never asked her to do that? Nowhere in that passage does it say that. No one told her to, but she chose to. Now, God is not saying to you and I this morning that we are to give everything that we have in our economy. You work it out between him and you. That's up to you and him. I know what God has said to me, and that will stay with me and him. But she, the widow's master, such a, 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 a um, that, that parable is so misunderstood Preachers use it as some battering ram to hit people with so they'll give everything that they've got. It doesn't say that. But she chose willingly of her own free will to do that. Verse 8, Paul says this. Listen to this, church. I'll just get this in your spirit. Verse 8. I am not commanding you. Next, will, no, next week, is a free will offering. No one's commanding you. I'm just preaching the word of God and giving a reference of why we should. What do you do with that? That's up to you. Your call. But he goes on to say this. 
but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. The defining issue here is not about our money, church. The defining issue was about our hearts. That was the bottom line. As one person said, at the heart of the issue is always the issue of the heart. So here's a question for you. Are you a generous person? Consider that question now. Are you a generous person? Don't, please don't shout it out. <laughs> well, if you are, next week God is going to test the sincerity of your heart. If you answered no, then God has given you the opportunity to change your heart. It's really that simple. And this morning, it has nothing to do with the size of your income. Giving has nothing to do with the size of your income. A big income church does not mean that you have a generous heart. In fact, some people, the bigger their income they have, the meaner they become. Bigger income does not mean that you are a generous person. See, generosity is not dependent upon the size of your income. It has everything to do with your heart. Someone say amen. Yeah. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7 says this. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each one should give what they have decided in their heart to do. Notice what you have decided to do in your heart, not your head. In your heart. Everyone okay? Looking forward to next week? Yeah. I've got a heck here over here. Didn't hear anything over this way. What's going on? That's all right. You can relax. So God will test our heart. Second thing God will test is our values. You know, there's a saying that goes like this. We do what we value most. Would you agree with that? The things that we value most, that's what we do. I mean, I value food. So I eat it. You know, I value, Christine and I value having people around for dinner and going out for dinner and that kind of thing. And we do that quite regularly, don't we? As according to our means. That's what we do. We love, we love doing that. So the things that, I, I love hunting. I love going out there and that kind of thing is something I value. And I go out with my sons and we go and that kind of thing. And it's great. And the freezer gets filled up and it's wonderful. Hey, Alex? It's terrific. So those are things that I value. So I do those things quite simply and easily. Have you ever consciously, consciously stopped and asked yourself the question, what do I value most in life? Do it now. I, I, do it to yourself. What do I value most in life? Okay, let's get some feedback. Who's willing? What do you value? Shout it out. Sorry? Books, reading books, writing them or reading them? Reading them. Yep, books. Anyone else? Family. family. Yep, absolutely. Children, family. Um, 
Relationship. What else? Church. Do you value this church? I certainly do. I value this whānau. What do you value? Intimacy with God. Yep. Gardens. In the garden. Do you connect with God when you're in the garden? Is that what works for you? Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? What do you value? Sorry? Did someone say something here? Let's move on. I think you're all stunned. What do I value most in life? Listen to this. I've never heard anyone on their deathbed say, I wish I had spent more time at the office. I've never heard anyone say before they died, I wish I had won that argument. I've never heard anyone say before they passed into eternity, I wish I had have accumulated more possessions. Yeah? See, sometimes, folks, we need to stop and remind ourselves what is of most value in this life. I'll tell you the two things that run right at the very top of my life. Firstly is this. I became a follower of Jesus at age 28. I value that massively, and I value my family. I actually value you as a church too, by the way, but you're third. (laughs) Here's my point. Here's my point, church. Don't wait until you're about to die before you reassess your values. Do it now. Do it today even. 2 Corinthians 8, listen to this. Even though the Macedonian church was facing severe hardship, they still contributed generously. Listen to this verse. uh, I think it will come up on the screen. Maybe not. Verses 2 and 3. I'll read them out. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy. Here we go. And their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. The power of partnership church works when everyone plays their part, no matter how big or small their contribution may be. Verse 12, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable, listen, according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. You know, earlier, I briefly explained the context that occasioned Paul's writing of 2 Corinthians 8. Well, you have to go back to 1 Corinthians um, 16, where the Corinthian church had made a financial promise to support the church in Jerusalem, a promised church that they failed to keep, at least up to that point. The Macedonian church had made no such promise, but when they got wind of the opportunity in spite of of experiencing economic hardship, economic difficulty. They gave willingly and they gave generously according to their means. Their motivation. This is so important to understand. What was the motivation of the Macedonian church? Their motivation 
to give to God was because of what God had already given to them, His free gift of grace. That's what motivated them, because of what He'd already done for them. Verse 1 says this, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. That word grace in the Greek means unmerited, undeserved favor. The Corinthians knew, the Corinthian church who promised so much and gave nothing at that point, up to that point, they knew about salvation. The implication was eternity. It was a purely an act of grace that God had given them salvation. They knew all about that. Yet they failed to express that truth. The Macedonian church, they also knew that truth, but they responded in rich generosity. God's grace towards them was what motivated the Macedonian church. And listen, church, that should also be our motivation next week. We should give, not out of compulsion, not out of pressure, not some form of manipulation. We give because of the gift of grace that God has given each one of us, period. That's the motivation. And God will test our values on that issue. And the final point out of this passage, God will test our heart, He will test our values, and God will test the willingness of us to work together. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. You know, when Jesus sent out the 72, He sent them out in pairs, partnership, together, he didn't send them out on their own. The opposite is also true. When we labor alone or when we try to go it alone, we are always weaker on our own. We are weaker when we are isolated on our own. We need partnership, friendships and connections, horizontal connections with one another. We need that. And as partnership relates to mission, when we are in partnership with those who are called and are sent, with those people, we create a momentum that we call synergy. Now, synergy is not one plus one equals two. Synergy, when that kicks in, one plus one equals three. One plus one equals four, five, and six. That's synergy. That synergy is when the sum of the individual parts become greater than the sum of the whole. So when, when the power of synergy begins to take effect, momentum increases. And the results, church, are absolutely exponential when that starts to kick in. You know, even Moses, that mighty leader, even he recognized the power of partnership. <laughs> Do you recall? He was leading the nation on his own. The nation was huge, a couple of million people. The task was far too big for him. So what happened? God gave him, um, uh, it said that, um, he said, God, the, the burden is too heavy for me. And God responded and gave him 70 other leaders to carry the load with him. Didn't take him out of his position as the, the leader of the nation. He still held that position, but he had partners around him to carry the load to get the job done. Now you take that biblical principle as it relates to what we decide to give next Sunday. Take that biblical principle of partnership. 
Verse 2 says again, I want you to get this, as much as they were able, listen to this, not more than they were able, as much as they were able. God didn't ask them to go without food that week. He didn't ask them not to pay the rent or to avoid paying the mortgage, although I'd like to do that. And he didn't say to them, don't go to the doctor's visit. He didn't say any of those things. As much as they were able. Here's the point. When we all play our part in partnership, we will have achieved so much more than if we had have gone it alone. Our Baptist missionaries serving overseas, they have a dream. They have a dream to see the gospel message proclaimed throughout the community, the city, and the nation that they are serving in. Amy, could you bring the team up, please? That's the dream that they have. But here's the thing, church. To fulfill that dream... They also need a team of committed people back at home, partnering with them. In our passage this morning, the Macedonian churches in verse 2, let's just read it again. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. I want to repeat this again. It really had nothing to do with the size of each of their economies. Not a thing. It had everything to do with their willingness to give what they were able to give and do it together in partnership. And when that happens, whatever we end up with at the end, listen to me, church, that will be enough. That'll be enough. I thought we were um, going over time, but I've got another 10 minutes yet. Yes, that's really cool. We've got a few visitors here this morning. And um, in one sense, um, I'm, actually, I'm actually a little bit frustrated that you came this morning to hear that kind of message. Excuse me. Because you might go away thinking that this church talks about money. We hardly ever talk about money. Hardly ever. We don't even take up an offering in the service. I want you to hear our heart, though. This church, Christine and I have had the privilege of pastoring. It's the third church that we've been involved in in, in that senior position, pastoring. This has got to be the most generous church that we have ever been a part of. We've been, the other two were generous, too. They were very generous. But this church is something about this church that has been quite extraordinary really to be honest and I'm not I want you to hear this clearly I'm not saying the other two churches weren't because in their own way they were incredibly generous too we took up an offering in one of those two churches um, for a mission building a, um, a, a community center 
a community centre um, in India. We took up an offering at one of those two churches and one day got 135 grand with a membership of 120. $135,000 and sent it across and they built the building. So, so I want you to hear very clearly, those two churches were not mean, not at all. But I want to say this to you this morning. One of the things that have just jumped out at us when Chris and I have only been here a short time is the generosity in the life of this church. I want you to hear that loud and clear this morning. That message that I just preached about your money is not because you're mean, not at all. I expect an extraordinary offering. Steve, what do you reckon? Next week? I expect so. We'll see what God does. But know this. When everyone works together, when we all do what we can according to my means, our means, when everyone does that, I want you to hear this again, that will be enough. That'll be enough. I got challenged on that this week myself personally. I don't know what my wife is going to um, respond to the offering because she works part-time so it's her thing to do her own thing but I know what God said to me and he dropped this figure into my spirit a few weeks ago and my eyes watered a little bit I thought okay all right then (laughs) it's fine and then my car broke down this week isn't that always the way isn't that always the way so I took it to the garage and I'm thinking oh you know it's going to cost you know two or three hundred dollars well we're in the thousands by the time they finished and I'm thinking you want me to do that, but now I've got to deal with this. And God said, yeah, that's right. Yep. So I will, because I trust him. I trust him because of the grace that he's poured into my life. I trust him for that outcome. I'm not expecting to see a check in the mail to pay for the repair of my car. I pay for the jolly thing. But I know this about God. When I put my trust in him, he never fails me ever that's true relationally that's true spiritually that's true economically Aseb he never fails us ever we're going to sing the song Oceans what's the opening line on Oceans Um, can we just put that up please Amy the opening line there's a reason for this oh thanks guys sorry about that I'm kind of sorry I love you heaps can you just put that um Listen, you call me out upon the waters, the great unknown. Put your name here where your feet may fail. Put your name there where Paul, my feet, probably will fail without him. Please stand. Probably without him it will fail. You know, this, this, when, um, uh, who, who got called out of the boat? Jesus called him out of the boat. Who was it? Who? Just just checking, just to see that you had your biblical knowledge right. Thanks for the save, by the way. You know that issue when he when he stepped out of the boat, he had his eyes locked on Jesus. Just when he began to sink was when he took his eyes off him. When he Locked his eyes back on him. Again, Jesus was there picking, pulled him up again. God calls us out 
to walk upon waters. There's all sorts of waters that we get to walk on. Next week, in this particular case, in this message, it'll be an economic water. He'll call us out. And in and of yourself, if you trust in your just in who you are, you will fail. You'll crash and burn. You'll drown. You keep your eyes fixed on Him, and you'll see miracles happen. Because that's what God does. It's a miracle-working God. That's what He does.